Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I praise you. Um, Father, I thank you for family. Um, you know, that's, that's the thing you've put on our hearts at this church, that besides our relationship with you, our number one ministry is our family. And uh, Father, I thank you for the families that come in here and support. Um, to watch a family come from a completely different country, to come down here to see their child and to support this church, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. And Father, not just that. I mean, there's so many families that come in all the time. Um, I thank you for our congregation because that just shows that they're proud of this church. Um, I thank you for those people, uh, their trust. And uh, Father, these people, they're all in. It's awesome to watch. It's been so cool to watch you move this church. Father, I just ask that you continue to move us and... Uh, that you keep myself in leadership obedient to when we hear you speak, we move. Father, today you have given me a message to continue with this series. Father, I just, I want to thank you for this series and the guidance that you've given. These have been your words. And Father, in this moment, I need you to anoint me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I need you to take all my pride doubt, um, lack of courage and confidence. Father, I ask that you take that away from me and you replace it today with your boldness, but most importantly, your love. I ask these things in your name, Father. Help us to love, laugh, and forgive. Amen. All right. <clears throat> if you go to a McDonald's restaurant... Um, they're going to want to supersize your meal, okay? If you go to a Whataburger, they're going to want to wattatize your meal or whatever that's called. Yeah, it's what it's called. Seriously, I didn't know that either, and, and I, had to, I was trying to find. Just hush, I'll tell you later. <laughs> Wendy's wants to biggie-size your meal, right? These restaurants are trying to tell you that they offer more, that they have more to offer than just regular. And Jesus is trying to tell us the same thing. The problem is, is that Christians today are okay with regular. Even though, again, God is trying to give us so much more than regular. Today we're going to continue this series on warrior disciples. For the last couple weeks, we have discussed what a true warrior disciple is. Nick, if you could pull up that definition for me. A believer in Christ who progressively learns how to fully live their life under the authority of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, we discussed the three commands from Jesus at the end of Matthew chapter 28, known as the Great Commission, which was to go find people, go baptize people, and teach them to be disciples. And then last week, we discussed what the master key is to becoming a disciple, which is putting God first. Again, just like the last two weeks before I get started on today's sermon, I need all of you to understand that there is a difference between a Christian 
and a warrior disciple. Like I've said every week, a Christian gives his soul to Christ, basically because he doesn't want to go to hell. But a warrior disciple not only gives their soul, they give their heart, their body, their mind, they give everything to Christ to try and do nothing but build his kingdom and do it all for him. That's a warrior disciple. Every, okay, some of y'all know this. If you're a business owner, there's a time, a season during the year that a lot of nonprofits start to put on different uh, galas and, and, and auctions and things like that. And, and having the jewelry store, we get hit up a lot for donations. Uh, so anyway, this past year, there was a good friend of ours that's head of a nonprofit organization. They came to me, and they were really smart. They came to me right after Christmas, okay, because we make no money in the jewelry industry until Christmas, okay? Like we're literally broke all the way through. So they knew, I'm going to get Micah after Christmas because he made some money. He'll donate something better. She's pretty smart. So, so she comes to me. By the way, don't do that. I just said that. So if you're a nonprofit leader, like, I just gave you that hint. It's not going to work when you come in. But she hit me at the right time, and we donated a large item to this gala. Uh, it was a great nonprofit um, that we truly we support tremendously. But anyway, they gave us, because we give this donation, they gave us two free tickets at the VIP table. VIP table. Cool, right? We couldn't go. So we gave those tickets to some friends of ours. Well, these friends of ours, they went, as they checked in, they looked down the list. Of course, their names aren't on there, so they have to say, well, we're here in Micah and Amanda Harp's place, because, you know, we're cool like that, you know, <laughs> VIP. Yeah. So they get to go, and they sit at our VIP table. Well, at the VIP table, you get to get free drinks, you know, you get free food, you get free gifts, free door prizes. These people got all of that. I didn't get nothing. And these people were all happy about it. Here's the thing. If they're not my friends, they're not getting any of that. I was given authority by giving a door prize. I received authority to be a VIP Member, it's the only thing I've ever been a VIP member at, by the way, ever in my life. And they could piggyback off that authority, and that's how they got to get the great drinks and the good food and sit at the VIP table. Jesus is trying to do the same thing, guys. He's trying to allow us to have his authority. It's not our authority. It's his authority. But he's allowing us to piggyback off of his authority. He talks about this in uh, John chapter 15. We're going to read John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that I will produce more fruit. When Jesus says, every branch in me, he is speaking to us, to the Christians. We are in him. Understood? Christian head nods. Help me out here. Thank you. 
because if if you're if you're if you're in him then you believe in him therefore you are a part of him so again he's speaking to us from there throughout all of John chapter 15 actually 1 through 16 those verses a key word in that passage is fruit fruit uh, if you know this story a lot of y'all have probably read this before you'll know what I'm talking about but just carry on with this in fact Jesus mentions the word eight times in these 16 scriptures Jesus is saying he wants us to be fruitful or in other words he wants us to be productive a productive branch from a vine will produce fruit but an unproductive branch that does not produce fruit is removed that's what else he's saying here y'all see that every branch in me that does not produce fruit God removes because his father is the vineyard keeper so God is in control of watching all of the branches that are from Jesus and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit there are three characteristics to this fruit that Jesus is teaching about the first characteristic of this fruit fruit always bears the character of the tree that it comes from if it's an apple tree it's gonna produce apples right if it's an orange tree it's gonna produce oranges if it's a pear tree it's gonna produce pears it's pretty simple the tree will will always reflect what kind of tree it is by the fruit it produces in the process of you becoming a true disciple your attitude conduct actions and characteristics should reflect Jesus Christ when I was a kid, a lot of y'all know I grew up playing a lot of golf. And when I was a kid, um, I would play with a lot of the older guys out there, uh, with my dad's friends and so forth. We would get together on a Saturday. You know, you throw up balls, you're getting teams together and so forth. And you know, I was just a little kid. And, and my dad would take me to the country club, and I'd get to play with these guys. And I didn't always get to play with my dad. So sometimes I'd have to ride in a cart with another person, another, another gentleman. And there was this one guy, uh, and, and I'm not going to name any names, but there's this one guy that, that, that uh, uh, he, he was pretty rough. Uh, my mama didn't like it when she found out I had to ride with this guy on the golf course. He, he had really bad language. You know, he liked to drink a lot. Um, I, I loved him, though. I thought he was pretty cool, you know. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, I'd, I'd, I'd go with this guy, and we'd play and so forth, and I'd just try to block out everything he was saying and so forth. But anyway, there's a time in the season, it, for those of y'all that play golf will know what I'm talking about. You can play golf in Texas pretty much year-round, except for about a month to two months. It's a little too cold. It is for me anyway. I'm, I'm a fair-weather golfer. So you, you can play through the summer. You can play through the spring, uh, through the fall, and then the winter you skip, and then you, and then you play in the spring. So, so anyway, we get through the fall, and, and I don't play for a couple months. And I hadn't seen this guy in a couple months. Spring comes back around, and first time I went to play, there's this guy. And I got picked on his team again. I'm riding in the cart with this man. He no longer was throwing a fit and breaking clubs and cussing and carrying on. In fact, he didn't even drink a beer the entire 18 holes that we played together. The man, I found out later, had received Christ over the wintertime. 
that's what it should be like. That's fruit. The fruit, if you're coming off of Jesus' branch, if you're a branch off his vine, you should reflect the fruit that he is. Right? Number two characteristic of the fruit. Thank you. Made me look bad. Fruit is always visible, right? I mean, that's, that's noticeable. I mean, like I just said a moment ago, you will know what kind of tree it is, obviously, by the fruit that it bears. It's visible. But this is what I need you to catch. And I need you to catch this. You cannot be a disciple if you are an invincible follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat myself. You cannot, cannot be a warrior disciple if you are an invincible follower of Jesus Christ. How many Christians, never mind, I'm not, well, no show of hands, but how many Christians do you know, I just want you to think about that, that you know that are that way? You go to church, you know, you, you, you're always there, but, but then you get out in the real world, things go rough, situations come up, you don't see them. They tuck tail and run. They hide from controversial conversations and situations. That's the time that children of God step up. Don't shy away from those moments. I need you all to understand this. Anytime you've got to face a controversial conversation or situation or a meeting or anything of that nature, two things, two ways you go into that. Okay, Number one, you go into it with love. You go into it with I'm not trying to go in here and win this argument or win this conversation. I'm going in this conversation with the thought process that God's going to win the conversation. And if you go in it with love, that's what will happen. Amen? Okay? Number two, don't go in there scared. You're a child of God. Why in the world are you going to walk? Why are you going to tippy-toe in there? Sprint into that thing. Handle it with love. God shows up, and he'll fix the problem. 99% of the time that will happen. The other 1%, don't worry about it. You wasn't going to change your mind anyway. Okay? Understood? Okay, I'm going to get off that soapbox. Okay. Again, you can't be a disciple and be invincible. We just had an election season come around. And, and everybody that, you know, you, you either voted Republican or you voted Democrat, you voted liberal or you voted conservative. But whatever you voted, there's a good chance that people knew by the signs in your yard or by the bumper sticker on your car, right? Okay, we, we, we flaunt that. You know, a lot of times this, we're gonna advertise for what it is that we wanna vote for. So my question is to you, do you have a Team Jesus sign in your yard? Amen, who said that? My man, that's what I'm talking about. He said, I got a Christian warrior sign in my yard. That's what I'm talking about. Keep advertising for the church, that's good. We'll pay you later. <laughs> do you have a vote for Jesus bumper sticker on your car? I mean, really, guys, I want y'all to think about this. We spend so much time advertising for others. But do people, people may know that you're a Democrat, or they may know that you're a Republican. But do they, do they know you're a Christian? Do they know that? That's what's most important. You know, man, football fans are this way. <laughs> Not baseball fans. Football fans are crazy, right? Like, you know... Who's a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, okay? Amen? Like, you know who's a fan of their team. 
because of the way they act, how crazy they are and what they wear, right? I'm going to get off that. Just, you know. Y'all make sure people know you're with Team Jesus. Amen? The number three characteristic of the fruit. Are you, do, are you doing this on purpose? Like, you said, okay. Fruit always benefits somebody else. I'm going to repeat that. Fruit always benefits somebody else. It's not about you. Quit making the fruit about you. It's about somebody else. The whole point of fruitfulness is that you are benefiting others beside yourself. In fact, if you ever get this, if you ever see fruit eating itself, it's rotten fruit. Right? That's the truth of it. Fruit that eats itself is rotten fruit. You see, Jesus wants other people to spiritually benefit from your life. If you're a true disciple, you will rub off on others. True discipleship should be contagious. Contagious. Most of y'all are old enough to know the chicken pox. When I was a kid, my oldest sister got the chicken pox. Holly got the chicken pox. Okay? My mom and my dad, they said, well, it won't hurt the rest of these kids. Let's just put them in a room together, let them sleep in the same bed. And, and then, of course, me and Hannah got chicken pox. We all got chicken pox. It's very contagious. Guys, discipleship should be the same way. It should be like catching the dadgum chicken pox. Many Christians read their Bible, study Scripture, and go to church merely for themselves. You know what? I got to stop real quick right there. I ain't mad at you. If that's you, I ain't mad at you. If you're just going to church and reading your Bible and praying and doing all your studying and spending time in your devotional just for you, I'm not mad at you, and here's why. Because nine years ago, I was the exact same way. I'm not mad at you. But you got to know there's so much more to it than that. It's not about you. You need to get prepared. You need to learn so you can be a disciple. We cannot be selfish Christians. You cannot be selfish Christians. They're not replicating Jesus to others when they do this. And if you're failing to do this, you have not reached the true level of discipleship. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to read verses 11 and 12. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Hang on, go back to that. Sometimes I want to tell some of y'all that. I ain't going to lie to you. Like, I need to remember that one. Spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Next. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead... You need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid 
food. Here, the author of Hebrews, he's complaining. See, at that time, some of those believers he was writing to had been saved for up to 30 years. 30 years. See, church, we have an excuse. We've only been here two. But I promise you one thing. I have seen, never mind, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Stay on track, Mike. 30 years. And in 30 years, they had produced very little fruit. They were still what I call baby Christians. That's where milk and solid food comes in, by the way. We'll say solid food is meat. Okay, some, some, some translations, it's, it's milk and, and meat. That's where this comes in. I want to explain milk and meat to you guys, though, guys, because some people get this real confused. So many people believe milk is the minor things of faith and meat is the deeper theological parts of faith. Listen to this. Milk is information, and meat is application. Y'all follow that? Milk's the information, meat, application. When you're able to take the information you've learned and applied in life and put it towards your Christian walk, you become a meat eater. When you're able to take the information from this church take it outside of this church and use it and set an example, you become a meat eater. It's okay, by the way, I need you all to get this. It's okay to drink milk for a while. We're all babies at some point in time. We're all young on our walk at some point in time. Like I said, pre-nine years ago, I was drinking a lot of milk. I mean, a lot of milk. But at some point, if you want to be a disciple of Christ, you got to throw the milk away. you got to go get your big steak. Big steak. Prime rib. I've got a story about someone that took the information that this church actually gave her and applied it to her life. Um, just recently, myself and another member of the church was asked to go with someone to the prison downtown, to the Bi-State Building. Uh, this individual had, um, had a, a struggling past and made some mistakes, and they wanted to turn themselves in. Uh, they, they, uh, they had to go to jail. They had an option. They could run or they could turn themselves in. When I pulled up to the Bi-State building that morning, this individual literally was, all this person thought about, they had every intention to turn themselves in. I mean, this person had an orange shirt on. They were ready. <laughs> Completely ready. Had bags full of stuff. We walk in the building. This person's giving us their, their, their cell phone, their money, their bills, everything. Everything that they possibly had was all in these plastic bags. So this person, we, we go up to the office, and they're going to turn themselves in, and the lady behind the counter says, okay, just go have a seat out in the hallway. So a little bit later, this, this caseworker walks out. And he calls this person by name and says, what are you doing here? He says, well, I'm turning myself in. He kind of, this guy was 
he was very serious. Kind of sat there for a second. He said, let's go back to my office. So we all four go back to this gentleman's office. We sit down. He says, now, why are you turning yourself in? This person says, well, I, I couldn't afford to pay the fine, um, not fully, so I need to turn myself in. I, I need to go to jail. The guy kind of sits there. He's dead silence. I don't think he knew what to say. And he finally sat there, and he said, hang on, I'm going to go talk to the judge. So he gets up, and he walks out. These two people that are with me are in the office. I'm standing in the hallway. He walks past me, goes down the hallway about three offices and hangs a left into the judge's office. The door is open. All I hear was him kind of talking, and then I hear the judge, the different voice, say, they did what? <laughs> then the door closed. I don't know what was said after that, but I do know this. I know God was in that room. Moments later, he came out, came and sat down in the office, and he looked directly at that individual, and he said, today is your lucky day. So you're not going to jail today. He said, not only are you not going to jail, because you did the right thing, we're cutting your fine in half, and because you did the right thing, we're going to extend your probation so you have time to pay off half of the fine so it's a small monthly payment. Guys, we all make mistakes. I'm not praising mistakes. I need you all to understand that. I'm not, I'm not praising why we were in that room. But I am praising that that individual realized that she had done wrong. She stood up for her mistakes. She did the right thing. And God showed up and granted her mercy. Y'all give Melanie a round of applause. <laughs> Melody, I'm proud of you, girl. I really am. I'm super proud of you. And guys, one thing I've learned is you don't face sin with fear. You face sin with faith. When you know you've done wrong and you know you've messed up, the worst thing you can do is run from that. That's fear. You go face it head on like a Christian warrior does, and you face it with the faith that God is there with you and will either show you grace and mercy or be with you along the way of the punishment. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Another key word from John chapter 15 that is so important in the process of bearing fruit is the word abide. It is mentioned 10 times in the uh, New King James and in the King James. I'm going to read. Don't, we're not going to pull it up on the screen. You don't even have to get your Bibles out. I'm just trying to prove a point here of how many times abide is actually said. I'm going to read just uh, uh, four of these verses. I'm going to read 15, 4 through 7. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can, uh, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branch. You who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is casted out as a branch and withered, and then will be gathered up and thrown into the fire. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Okay, the reason I bring all this up 
The Greek word for abide is minnow. Sounds like the fish, minnow, okay? Minnow is to stay, to remain, to loiter. It means to hang out somewhere. When, when y'all were younger, well, maybe not all of you, but when I was younger, there was a hangout, right? Like, you know, and all the cool people hung out at the hangout, okay? Ours was K-Buds. K-Buds was a gas station because we were cool, so we were going to hang out at the gas station, right? So you hang out at K-Buds, this Exxon gas station. We'd be in the back of the parking lot back there, you know, and, and, and I would go. I was, you know, I had a black Jeep, you know, it was slick. I had my six-by-nine speakers in the back. And I'd pull up, and, and, you know, I'd roll my windows down, and I'd be bumping, and, and I'd be playing, you know, Tupac, Biggie Smalls, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I was real cool. You know, I'd, I'd sit up against my Jeep, you know, I'd, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I'd be, I'd be waiting on all the girls to come by. That's how I got Amanda, by the way. <laughs> but we would hang out there, right? Like, that's the place that you would find out where the parties were. Don't ever do that, young kids, never, because we got in a lot of trouble for that. But we would do that. That was the hangout. That was the place that you wanted to be. Jesus just wants you to hang out with him. That's all he wants. Abide in me. Hang out with me. Let my words abide in you. Hang out with me. Hear my words. Let them stay in you. He just wants you to hang out with him. Build a relationship with him. And he'll make you a disciple. Jesus wants us to be on fire for him. And the only way we can do that again is by abiding in him. I've got a picture of the solar system. How many people in here are really good at science? How many people like made straight A's in science? Raise your hands. Come on. Don't, don't hide. Nerd. Okay. <laughs> Pull up the solar system for me. Is this a... Is this <laughs> oh, I'm surprised people came back this week to visit last week, to be honest with you. We act like this all the time. Okay, so here's the sun, right? This is the sun down here in the corner. Y'all see the sun? Everybody see that? Christian head nods? See that? See the sun? Christian head nods. I'm not moving forward until I see them. Y'all look really funny when y'all do that together. <laughs> so there's the sun, okay? Pluto up here at the top, right? That's cold. It's cold up there because you're not close to the sun. Mercury. What'd you say? I don't care. You want to preach? Neptune is cold. Mercury is almost on fire because it's closest to the sun, right? You don't have to be a science major here, okay? We can figure this out. Where do you think God wants you to be? Well, not really because you'd burn to death, okay? <laughs> but he wants you to be on fire for him. Here's the problem, guys. We're on planet Earth right here, right? You know what the problem with planet Earth is? Sometimes it's cold and sometimes it's hot. 
there's different seasons on earth. God always wants you to be in a warm, hot season for him. And again, the problem is, is where we live on planet earth, it's, it's hot and it's cold. Because the world has made it that way for Christians. Sometimes the world, when an accident happens in our country, an accident, let me rephrase that, 9-11. 9-11. When 9-11 happened, boy, our country was hot for God, weren't they? On fire, man. Praying everywhere. Singing hymns, praising God. It's getting cold, guys. It's getting really cold. It's y'all's job to warm it back up. You hush. I'm done with you back here. You're messing with me. Did you know that there is a certain amount of time it should take for a believer to become a disciple? Okay, so we talked about this earlier, right? Like you, you, you had the Hebrews was talking about people been there 30 years and they weren't becoming disciples. So the, the author of Hebrews, he was, he was mad. You know what I'm saying? Like he was mad. And sometimes I, I get mad at some of y'all. But here's the cool thing. Again, we have an excuse. We've only been here two years. This is when the excuse stops, guys. Paul planted the church in Corinth in 50 A.D. He wrote 1 Corinthians in 55 A.D. Five years later, five years later, I want you to read what he wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Brothers, who's he talking to when he says brothers? Church, Amen. I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you were not yet ready for it. Paul is telling us from these scriptures that if you have been a Christian for at least five years, you should be producing fruit. He's upset at this church because they've been planted five years and they're not doing it. Every word in the Bible is God-breathed. Now, you can take this scripture and you can interpret it any way you want to. You can say, Micah, how do you get that from that? Because I pray about it and the Holy Spirit's telling me, we got five years. We better be planting a lot of disciples within five years. You want me to be honest with you? I'm going to tell you where I disagree with Paul. That's too long. That's too long. I think he's being nice. I truly do. I think he's being nice to these guys. We've been here two years. When we started this church, we had 30 people. Look around. It doesn't take five years. This church has done an amazing job at discipleship, and that's what it's about. But here's the thing. I've said it a hundred times. We're just getting started. I'll say that 10 years from now. We're just getting started. Because we cannot get full on our last spiritual meal. We have to stay hungry. We have to stay on fire. You have to continue to build the church. Because it's like I said earlier, guys. It's getting cold out there. It's getting really cold. And I don't know about y'all, but I like the beach. That's my place. We got to get hot, guys. As a church, we have to continue to disciple. We have to continue to grow, number one, in our walk. And learn what we can so we can go and disciple others. You know, we've got a, a, a gentleman here at this church. Uh, 
I don't mind saying, I'm going to call him out, Joseph Bullard, okay? Joseph got baptized, I don't know, two, three months ago at the most, you know, and he's already bringing people to church. Amen. That's how it ought to be. That's discipleship. Me and Bo talked about this earlier in my office. We, we every Sunday, I've, I've told some of y'all this, we meet a few minutes before uh, service back here, and it's our time to catch up for the week. Me and Bojo used to visit all the time. We don't get to do that anymore. Y'all keep us busy. So we don't get to visit as much anymore. So we have 30 minutes on Sunday mornings that we sit down and talk. And one of the things that I told him, we were talking about Christians being on fire. You know, sometimes when you become a veteran Christian, you don't feel that fire anymore. That's why the church is so important. When I'm struggling sometimes to fill that fire, I get to go visit with Melody and go to jail. I'm sorry. Too soon. I'm sorry. I'm just picking at you. you no, know, I, I love you. I get to sit down with Joseph Bullard and hear about the people that he's bringing to church. They're on fire. They're on fire. And that lights me back up. As a church, that's what we have to do. We have to keep everybody fired up. I don't care if it looks like before a football game. Everybody's jumping around, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about. Eye of the Tigers going. That's what I'm talking about. I don't care if it's that. Because they don't do that in baseball, by the way. They never do that in baseball. Mm-mm-mm. If you've been a Christian for at least the last five years, I want to close by asking you a question. Who have you discipled? If you can't think of anybody, you're behind. Today is the day to start catching up. That's the great thing I love about our God. It's never too late. Some of y'all, y'all have been a Christian for 50 years and you hadn't discipled anybody. Guess what? You can disciple one person tomorrow that can change the world. In sports, especially football, your team is only as good as the weakest player, right? Like as you always hear stuff like that. You're as weak as the, your, your team is only as good as that guy that, that, that doesn't work out the way he should. Skips film session. Doesn't get in the gym enough. Doesn't put the team ahead of himself. It's only him. It's all about him. Church, don't be the one weak link that brings your church down. Be a team player. Amen? Grab a pen and paper and write this down. We will never change the world by going to church. We will only change the world by being the church.